Welcome back, everybody, to the Self Storage Income Podcast. We have another incredible episode lined up for you today. But before we get into that, huge shout out to all of our amazing sponsors Janice International, Store Local, Live Oak Bank, and Tenant Inc. Be sure to check out the links in the show notes. You guys probably hear us talking about these guys on the podcast all the time. Janice International, tons of amazing people, tons of amazing products, services, their Noki service, their R3 program, all these different aspects to help you build an amazing storage facility or upgrade your storage facility. Uh, just a fantastic group. Store local. It's honestly one of the biggest threats to self-storage is, is market consolidation and everything that goes along with that. So enter Store Local, the largest storage co-op in the world. Just amazing people again, tons of tons of awesome people there and uh, amazing solutions to bring everybody's resources together and uh, utilize those in an effective way to be able to compete and also uh, thrive in a world of competition with some of these larger REITs and the big players in the self-storage industry. Check out Store Local. Amazing, amazing opportunities there. Live Oak Bank. I don't know how many of you guys came to our live event in Coeur d'Alene just this past year, but uh, we had some amazing conversations with Live Oak Bank there, and they were probably one of the most popular uh, <laughs> topics there in our, our breakout sessions. And And people want to know. They, they want to know the financing. You guys want to know what the solutions are, what the deals look like, all these different aspects to financing. Live Oak Bank is that answer specifically for self-storage. They specialize in storage, which is just incredible. There's no learning curve for them to understand the asset. They know it. They've been there before, and they can help you see things that you might not even be seeing yourself. So Live Oak Bank, amazing. Check the link in the show notes. And last but not least, Tenant Inc., Tenant Inc. is an incredible slew of products and services, essentially, for your storage facilities to help automate, to help streamline, to help optimize your business and your storage facility. They've got uh, their Hummingbird platform, Nectar platform, uh, their Mariposa platform. Just to scrape the surface here, their, their property software, the big thing about this is the API is open. So you guys can actually, you, you own your data, you can use other third parties and back that into your systems. It's not this closed system that, that only uses proprietary X, Y, and Z. You guys have total control over your data, total control over these various aspects of running your business, uh, running your storage facility. And uh, they just got some amazing products. Again, these are storage owner operators that have created and developed these solutions. And uh, it, it's just an amazing platform. So check it out. Without further ado, guys, here's the episode. Looking to create wealth and income through high cash flowing real estate? Self storage is the fastest growing and the newest real estate asset that has outperformed all others. What's its secret? I'm AJ Osborne, and with over a million square feet that we have built, acquired, expanded, and even converted big box stores from small third tier markets to large hundred plus thousand square foot facilities, we have seen it all. This is the podcast that we're going to discuss and bring on the best investors and operators in the nation to show you how to create wealth and income with self-storage. Welcome to Self-Storage Income. Welcome, everybody, to Self-Storage Income. And I am super excited about today's po podcast, even though it's probably not the type of podcast that you would expect. This one's probably going to be a little different, I'd say. <laughs> uh, coming out of left field, the yes. uh, self-storage cheerleaders over here just... Uh, <laughs> 
bagging on self-storage. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know, we uh, had a um, YouTube video come out that you can go check out. It is, uh, it's called The End of Self-Storage. Um, and I'm actually in the middle of making another one um, that is called The Self-Storage Bubble. Now, um, you may ask, uh, you know, a lot of questions here on why we would discuss this as we are obviously massive fans of self-storage. It's literally what we do. It's all we do. Operate, own, manage, build, convert, et cetera, et cetera. But um, we also believe in being very real and honest and open about what's going on out there. And we believe that identifying downsides and potential problems helps us become better. It does not in any way, shape or form hurt us. And right now we do believe that the self-storage industry is probably at a more fragile time than it has been uh, ever. And so we're talking about these things. And I wanted to really be open and honest and clear where we see the dangers, why we see them, what's happening, what the data is showing. This podcast uh, today, as well as the end of self-storage, and then also the continuation of that, which will come out in a few weeks here on the self-storage bubble. It, we're gonna, we look at, and I want to talk about the landscape of self-storage, what phase and the cycle it is in, and comparison to other real estate asset classes. Um, and that has, you know, talk about market sentiment. We can talk about a lot of things that have changed where it's at and what could be um, downsides, where you need to look out for. Now, with that said, you know, we are currently, so we're actually currently launching a fund that you can invest in right now. You can go to our site. Connor will put the link down below, but we're launching our self-storage fund, first one this year, and we're raising roughly $20 million, um, to buy value-add turnaround facilities, of which I actually think we have almost all of it already under contract. So it's literally just funding <laughs> deals that we have under contract. Uh, yeah, no kidding. Uh, so these are value-add properties that we're turning around, and we created a fund to put them all together so we could diversify our investors' money across multiple states. So it's we're not slowing down. We don't think that um, the asset class um, is a bad asset class or anything else, but we are very much realist. And I want to be identifying the downsides. So that way, as we move forward, we can be preparing um, and protecting ourselves for when eventually markets turn. And this is the key thing that I think you have to remember. Um, nothing lasts forever. Markets always change. And uh, there's cycles that these things go through. And at the end of the day, there's a few things that we look at that um, tell us uh, are indicators of when there may be certain things going going wrong. Self-storage is interesting because at the last real estate crisis that we had, um, it was a real estate collapse, obviously, but it was also on the backs of massive development cycles uh, in certain type of assets. We saw it in retail. We saw it in single-family homes. And over after that crash, you saw those assets just be obliterated. And there were themes that went along with them. And both of the themes that went along with 
those two asset classes was that these are sure things that they don't go down and we don't, nobody sees risk. And now I know we have movies like the big short and other things that people say, Oh, well I need to, but listen, as a majority, no one saw it coming. Nothing even to the extent of what it was actually happening. Um, and it, you can look at even Michael Burry's information that he put out. There were such a few amount of people that understood what was happening in one asset class alone. Um, but there's there's themes, there's investing themes and sentiment. And society, we kind of go through group think and we accept storylines and we accept um, underlying um, ideals and ideas that the group shares when that comes into investment thesis. And this can be very wrong. And uh, um, it usually is. And the key to remember is that no, nobody really saw it happen until it was happening. So when we look at different things that I believe could be harmful to self-storage and that now too, by the way, when we say these things, it's also really important to remember those asset classes didn't go away, right? Mm -hmm. Housing stronger than it's ever been. And no matter what, if you held on to, uh, if you had a rental, a house rental, and it was cash flowing, you could pay your bills and you weren't over leveraged on it, you know, you could survive it. You, it, it cash flowed, it, it made money. And houses are worth more today than they ever were back then. So in the long run, right, you're trying to avoid the risk of ruin. You're trying to avoid um, this devastation that comes from a cleansing part of the market, which is an overbuilt, overbloated. We have to shed debt. We have to shed um, assets. We need to cleanse it out so it can be more efficient, readjust pricing. Uh, we see this going on in China right now with their housing crisis that they're having, right? They have too many homes. There's too much speculation, and they're now having to tear it down, and they're going through a cleansing cycle. Um, when we look at storage, up until that point, uh, storage was not on a major development cycle. Most of the people that financed self-storage was not giving great financials uh, or financial terms to people investing in storage. And this is my thing, and this is why I've had such a big, loud voice about this, is first of all, we accept things that you hear over and over again, and I hear it sitting there as we're in massive conferences, and they're like, this is you know basically a recession-proof asset. And... We say that because it's predicated on the past um, real estate cycle uh, and real estate crash. But at the time of that real estate crash, self-storage was nothing like it is today. And this is what we have to understand. Uh, we are on the tail end of a major development cycle where money is flowing into this asset class like leaps and bounds. It is just pouring into this asset class. Um, so development's skyrocketing. The cost of build and land is skyrocketing and debt is easier. So the overall debt situation in storage is nothing like it was in 2008. The loan to value when we went through that market crash in 08 on self-storage was like under 50%. It was just there was so little debt in the storage game because first of all, they couldn't get it. A lot of people, it was a land hold, Right. And um, it was mom and pop operators 
It had not been broken into by funds. There wasn't, it wasn't nearly as credit worthy. And they had cheap materials, cheap land, on and on and on. Um, now we're at the opposite end of a development cycle. There's new development everywhere. Um, debt's high. People are taking on debt and they're building at the most expensive time we could even imagine in self-storage. Remember, that's including me. Okay. So um, what we think and what we're looking at are what are the things that would cause a contraction in self-storage, right? I, I We try to be um, unbiased about these things. And I try to be a cheerleader of how to run, how to invest in self-storage, how to build wealth and income in self-storage. But I don't try to be a cheerleader just to cheerlead, right? So it's like it, it, we need to really have that in context here that the goal is to be successful and to avoid downfalls. And it doesn't help anyone by saying that there aren't downfalls and major downfalls. And too, frankly, that there may not be some absolute misalignments currently in the storage world, which I think there are. First of all, we have the COVID bump. So we're at unprecedented rate hikes and unprecedented levels of occupancy due to super cheap rates, lowest in history, booming housing market, um, displacement of people moving, the great resignation, the COVID uh, what happened in COVID was a huge boost to storage. People started moving like crazy. Great migration started. Movement is good for self-storage. Low, low interest rates. They could afford houses. They could buy. The government was paying everyone, even if they lost their jobs. So nobody stopped paying their storage facility. Everybody got payments. So normally when we see a recession, right? You have a contraction in capital, but you also have a contraction in spending. So you have a contraction in these overall cycles in development. People stop developing. You have uh, lower occupancies and the market pauses and has to adjust. Uh, that never happened with this recession. It was masked by government spending. So the building continued, demand continued, and the party just kept going on. Um, and in fact, it was the opposite in self-storage. What you had is you had all of a sudden self-storage started doing good and it reinforced the beliefs once again in COVID because other asset classes like um, hotels, the hotel industry, restaurants, as well as others were devastated by COVID while self-storage did really, really good. And that has led to even more hype and even more people coming into it. Uh, the amount of gurus and self-storage out there now blows my mind. Um, you know, <laughs> when we started the podcast, we were the only uh, self-storage podcast that was consistently even putting out information. There was no YouTube channels on self-storage. There was no, I mean, social media thing. That didn't exist, Right. And now it's all over the place. You see it in the Wall Street Journal. You see it on and on and on over and over again. Um, so we see this element in the industry of hype. And you see this element of short-term takers and newbies that are experts and that is the that the industry is blowing up. So we have four years of nothing but the most amazing returns you could ever uh, get. And it this is all good. This is all good. But two, 
we have to have this in context that this also may not be normal at all. In fact, it's hard to say that it even is. Um, I don't believe that it is. Uh, and so there's certain things about the government spending, obviously, that has helped us because of inflation that will continue going. We don't believe the storage game is ending. Let me make this very, very clear. But I do believe that we have overbuilt and over-exaggerated a lot of different markets, and that because of COVID, that has masked fundamentals within those markets that can't keep going on. And if there is a contraction, like we look at rising interest rates effects on housing and migration, you're going to see a big pullback in those markets. And when you are developing and building and buying storage facilities at all time highest prices and like all time lowest cap rates, right, that can catch you off guard and you can be very shocked and surprised um, at the effects. Anyone that's been in the self-storage game for literally the last nine years has never seen that happen before. They've never been through a pullback in self-storage. And uh, um, that can overall, uh, you know, it can create problems. So we have kind of a perfect storm to what I would call call really kind of a bubbly, not market, but bubbleless. Yeah, yeah. It's like you, you can feel these things. And so now... What are we doing? What does that mean? We are being way more hypersensitive on where we build, what we build, how we build. Um, our margin and my margin of stupidity is very big right now. I want to have a lot of lean way for me to fail, time to fill up, and I don't expect things to happen. You know, we're seeing feasibility studies that people are giving them saying they're going to fill up in six months. That's ludicrous. And people are going to the bank and trying to finance off this stuff. Um, this is scary stuff that, you know, you would have never seen this uh, back when, when actually there was a fraction of the self-storage supply and it was coming up, right? So we have to be not only realistic about the numbers, but in the hottest time of the market, I have to be more conservative. We spend way more time focusing on the spread, the money on the table. And we do not look at the future, meaning it's got to work now. There has to be demand today and there has to be upside today or we can't do it, right? I need that upside to actually cover me in case of contractions. We also aren't looking at flipping because I don't know what the market will look like in the next two, three years, right? We could see a contraction uh, or a increase in cap rates. We could see capital moving apart because how the world, uh, how the investing world works is capital moves. It moves from one sector to another based upon returns, future expectations. And when the capital shifts because of all of a sudden, oh, it may not look good. It's not like a uh, pause. It's a shift and capital starts moving out and it starts to suck, right? Everything out of that industry. And um, those contractions leave people that are not prepared or in a bad spot uh, in very dangerous situations. Now, it can also leave those that are in a good spot in a great position to take advantage, which that is our goal and to be us. So once again, what we're doing right now is we're more careful than we've ever been. Um, we are looking at immediate upside value add strategy. We are developing, but we're developing in markets that have, a, I don't know, a, from a year ago, probably 80% of the markets that we looked at that we would develop, we took off the list. We need super high rates 
And we need low, low square footage to justify that. Uh, Developing now has to be a home run or we don't touch it. Um, It needs to be a really, really big home run. And we've adjusted ourselves in this way so that even if there's a slowdown, that just means that we'll have open opportunity to move in capital and take advantage of deals that may have been in more of a predicament, that may have been more in trouble. We look heavily on the stabilization and operation side of it. And then how much can we give? How much can we lose on this? And what are the competitors like? And if they start to lose, what does that downward spiral look like of rates and everything following? And how can we compete against that? Right. This is all stuff that is going through our heads right now. This is all stuff that we're looking at because of where this market's at. Now, to be honest, this is how lots of assets are. Right. This is how you look at there's many, many different assets, such as the stock market, um, single family homes, and lots that they're in kind of a bubbly territory. It's we are in and we are currently in an unprecedented landscape of government printing and masking one of the greatest contractions of economic production that we've ever seen. Um, we don't know how that's going to play out. And it's when 2008 happened, the printing was to shore up um, giant holes that were left by the erasing debt in capital. So the capital was coming in, but it was just trying to plug things, right? It was simply trying to make sure things stopped falling. That's not what happened in COVID. The capital started coming in, but we didn't have defaults, right? We didn't have mass debt crisis. It was just kept piling it up. And that devalued the money, the money chased for assets. We see rush cap rate compression. We see higher prices. Um, and you know, this is what happens. So the other side also happens though. The government backs off, they raise interest rates. And instead we see kind of that slowdown and we see that softening of the market. We see retreating, um, uh, retreating or occupancies that turn in turn, uh, reduce rates. And then we start to see vacancy issues, oversupply issues that a lot of people didn't see during that time. Warren Buffett often says, uh, often says, you know, you don't know who's swimming naked till the time goes, tide goes out. Well, right now the tide's full, everybody. So am I saying don't invest in self-storage? No, I would be a massive hypocrite if I was. We'll buy probably more facilities um, next year than we bought previously, but we are being much more careful, analytical on the ones that we are buying. And we're entering into markets that uh, three, four years ago, we wouldn't have gone into. So it's shift dramatically where we see value, how we see value. And we're willing to do go to a lot more lengths and go to different markets um, that are far, far away from us and markets that we haven't entered into that are more stable. And so we're adjusting with it, right? We're really making different moves. And that's been going on for the last year and set us up for this coming year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, there's been a lot of changes for sure. Um, and it's it's been such a difficult thing to track, especially on the development side, where you have such a long tail end to these developments and, and projecting out you know, over years. Again, we're working from knowns right now today. And when those knowns right now today, like building materials are so volatile as they are, uh, you know, coming up with any kind of costs on things and being able to stick to it is, is difficult. So having those huge margins of stupidity, like AJ likes to call them, uh, super, super important. And then, 
again, really, I mean, all of this comes back down to the fundamentals um, where, you know, you're analyzing demand, you're analyzing growth, you're analyzing economic drivers, you're, you're analyzing all the same things, but maybe your criteria slightly changes, maybe your markets slightly change, and, and what exactly you're plugging into each of those metrics to measure whether or not a market is good or bad or a deal is good or bad. Um, and then uh, AJ hit the nail on the head where a majority of all of these issues, if if you're not over leveraged, you're going to be fine. Yeah. You know, I mean, you look back at 08, you look back at the recession, any of that stuff. If you weren't over leveraged, you're probably okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so that that key piece right there of not being over leveraged. focused on fundamentals. Huge. And again, yeah, fundamentals, the fundamental aspects of what makes a good deal and what makes a bad deal. It's, you know, um, it's times like this in the market that you have to be able to move fast to get ahead, but you also have to be careful and you have to be nimble and you have to stick with the fundamentals and you have to really monitor and not make excuses, right? It's this time in the market that we see lots of people justifying, making excuses to try to get in the game, to try to make a move. And when we look at it, it's like, yes, you need to enter into the markets. You need to move, you need to be competitive, but not at the risk of your future, right? So you want to be able to stay in the game. You want to be able to keep moving and you want that momentum to, you know, keep rising. So, you know, when we look at the total amount, just, I mean, even take in the total amount of debt in 2020 um, of self-storage, it's double than what it was uh, literally just three years ago. A lot of people don't understand this. A lot of people aren't looking at this. So you're talking about uh, total um, uh, debt to asset ratio of storage in the United States. In 2015, it was two. It's 8% now. Um, It's had a dramatic, dramatic shift. Now, of course, we also understand that the debt burdens are lower, right? Now, we so that can add on ability, right? But the costs are way higher than they were. So your debts, the debts, the debt servicing is lower due to interest rates, but the costs are astronomically um, higher. And what we saw is in uh, vacancy rates, right, started to rise from 2015 to 2018. And then COVID came along and vacancy just dropped, right? It just dropped like a rock. So we see this initial bubble, um, which I call the COVID bubble, which is masking things that were going on. Now, it wasn't horrendous, but it was a steady rise. Everybody looking before COVID came around, it was very well known. All major operators in the United States and economists were like, we're seeing the effects of oversupplied. This was uh, this was very openly talked about, right? We were saying it was like, hey, we have to look at oversupplied markets because we're starting to see vacancy rates rise across the United States, which is normal. And that's okay. It doesn't say it's a bad thing. Like it needs to, because what happens is then you start to have a pullback from developers. So you're pulling back supply, right? Um, But then COVID hit and because of COVID, you saw a huge drop in vacancy rates, which then increased back up the developing cycle. 
the problem is, is how much of that is short-term and how much of that is masked. Those are the questions that I'm asking, right? Those are the questions that I'm like, we want to know and understand this because first of all, vacancy rates at where they are now is not normal. It's not. Any normal market cycle has never had vacancy rates this low before. And so when we put when we're putting it when we're putting in our numbers, when we're going into our spreadsheet, we do not take first of all um, what we've seen in the last four years, we would not ever add in to project to see it moving forward. Um, that would be crazy. And we don't even accept vacancy numbers that we see now. Once again, we saw feasibility studies, six month fill up, and you're at a 95 plus percent vacancy rate. And you just wouldn't have ever seen that before. Nobody would have actually put that into, <laughs> you know, numbers. I mean, by yeah, it's wild. construction spend, um, by year in the billions to give you any idea what we're looking at. Prior to 2008, the highest that it ever was was 1.3 billion. By 2015, we had hit 2 billion. And by 2017 and 18, it was a 5 billion a year. This is a dramatic shift, right? Dramatic. Now, once again, overall utilization of storage, the population that uses it went up a little. But you're talking about it went up like 5%, right? So it was roughly at, well, I mean, excuse me. It went up from nine and a half, uh, from nine and a half to 10% to roughly 10.5% overall nationwide, right? And a lot of that, though, has to do with uh, COVID and the utilization. Um, so we're, we're just looking at all this stuff, trying to understand moving forward, how assets will be affected. And that's what we're trying to let you guys know. You guys need to be looking at markets, individual markets, because self-storage is super micro, right? We all know that. And the more insulated you are, uh, the better. Now, when we say super micro, we, we're talking three, five mile radius, right? Um, but I see a lot of people that are going much, much smaller, they're going down into very limited amounts saying, well, there's demand here um, based upon its growth numbers, right? So once again, now you're projecting demand based upon future predicated growth. Mm -hmm. uh, that is something you want to avoid, especially now. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of this, I actually just saw this the other day. I saw an ad for a fund. Um, that was uh, a guy that was getting into storage, building all this, these storage facilities, and uh, was talking about just that, was talking about there's all this demand, all this growth, we can't fill it fast enough, and we're building everywhere. And he listed off their developments in the most oversupplied markets <laughs> in the country. Um, and it's just like, in really the whole thing was based on these projections of, of not just what's going on currently, but just the, this idea, this crystal ball situation of, well, this is what has been in the past and this is where we think it's going or where it quote unquote should be going. Um, and like you said, man, that, that's not what you should be doing. Super dangerous. No. Well, and what we saw is something happened in self-storage that had never happened. When you look at 2015, 16, 17, um, what we had is we had a lot of developers start doing something because they saw a compression in cap rates. This compression in cap rates started roughly around 2012, where it went down to now almost it started out at eight. We're down now at like five um, and 2020. It was like five point five uh, in the fourth quarter. 
And what we saw is we saw a correlation for 2013, 14, um, lots of developers started coming up and developing, and then they started selling them at this compressed cap rate, and they were selling them before they were even full, and they were making so much money off this. And so we started to see developers that were essentially flipping self-storage facilities. We had never really seen that in a big way in self-storage before. It was all owner, operators, developers, landholders that were building to hold it, to operate it, right? Um, so there, this is a big change. And they made a ton of money, like a lot of money. And you had even newbies that were all sort of making millions. And so what they, what did they do? They did one, they made so much money off it. And we were talking to some guys, they went out and, they went out and got debt and were developing five more. Because they were just like, I can't believe how easy that was. I can't believe how well that worked. Um, this is also signs that we see, once again, when you're on top of a mar market. Because you can build anywhere, and it doesn't have to have the fundamentals. It doesn't have to be cash flowing. It doesn't have to be um, you know, sound investment. And people are buying them up. Um, we're seeing people buy things in a two-week period of time. Literally seven days due diligence, seven-day close, one-page PSA, and they'd never even seen the asset on a $13 million asset. Um, when we see these things, we take pause. And it's important that we all do. Um, now, with that said, we still think that our deals that we're getting are great because there's also other sides to this. Okay. So, it, you know, the whole point of this podcast is to point out all the things that we believe could be or could go wrong. Um, and when we're looking at the upsides and when we're looking at what is good for self-storage and what's going on is the housing crisis isn't going anywhere, okay? So we're not going to see a huge new supply. Renter, uh, the percentage of renters is going up. Um, but two, this is also a misnomer. So let me give you some data and some statistics on this, for example. Uh, most people think or assume that people are using um, self-storage live in, um, in apartment buildings, uh, but that's actually not true. In fact, the vast majority of people that use self-storage are um, single-family homes, homes. Uh, own single family homes. So when you look at the numbers from Gen Xers, uh, seven, uh, 63% of all Gen Xers, 70% of boomers um, that utilize storage own single family house dwellers. Even millennials, it's almost 40% of all millennials that use self-storage are um, actually wow. uh, using it. Now, this was in... Um, you know, this has kind of remained consistent from 2005. If we take it to 2020, it's even higher. 70% of millennials now that use self-storage are homeowners. So what we found is that home ownership as it rose with millennials, you also had a increase in utilization of storage. Well, this is such another good point to point out because you have, there's been a couple of things that touching on the millennials and these generational aspects here. And then there's something else you'd mentioned previously where the market thought something was going to happen in a certain way and yes, it didn't. And it didn't. So, and millennials, again, another perfect example where it's like, oh yeah, millennials, they're never going to own houses. They're not going to be in storage, all this other crap. And now 
Like in they're 2020, by far <laughs> the largest. They're, yeah, utilizer. they're more than Gen X, more than Boomers, yes. more than Greatest. Everything. Like I mean, they are the driving thing from yeah. storage. They're also one of the reasons why we see such high occupancy. They're all trying to get into homes. They're moving, and this is the biggest generation by numbers. And you're right. When we looked at it eight years ago, you know, we were sitting in ISS conference eight, ten years ago, and everything was on millennials and how. We're going to have vacancy around the United States open because millennials are minimalist <laughs> yeah. and they don't actually want things. They don't want to have kids. They they want to you know be hippies and live free and they don't like <laughs> material possessions. Yeah. That all turned out to be completely wrong, which for me is like, oh, no, it's just because they can't afford anything. Not because mm-hmm. they don't want it. And yeah. two, often their, um, their minimalism is just because they can't afford something. So they say they're minimalist. <laughs> they just can't afford anything. The moment they can and the moment they've been able to, though, storage is immediately um, an opportunity, especially with the generation that can't get as much space mm-hmm. um, for the money they're buying. And they have way more constraints on how they use that space. Uh, so these numbers are really important. Yeah. Just another prime example of why you need to focus on on what is actually happening. Yes. Not projections, yes. not what you think. It's like not what has happened in the past. It's what is going on right now today. Exactly. Like what is occurring? Um, and when we look at what's occurring, the fundamentals of self-storage, we do not see eroding away. This is important. We need to talk about this. Because a lot of asset classes, the fundamentals were actually eroding. So when you had the development of retail, that huge, through the 90s, mass development, they, they probably t- developed twice as much as we should have ever had. And um, we had more than twice as much as Canada, right? And uh, then in the early 2000s, um, you started having technologies like Amazon. Um, we started to change the way we shop. Uh, and that all coincide to a retail apocalypse, okay? That's not happening in storage, meaning the fundamentals, the reason why people use storage and the mode of utilization hasn't changed, okay? So we're not saying there's this massive apocalypse coming. And also the financing on storage wasn't like houses or anything else. These are based upon real financial numbers. There isn't, when we say a bubble, I don't want you to say, AJ says the housing bubble is storage. That's not what I'm saying, right? Because the financing structure and why we buy them and how we buy them is different. Now, am I saying that we may have a 10% contraction in occupancy and alongside that we may see revenues drop and we're not getting their kind of revenue? Of course. Will we see localized defaults? Yeah, we will at some point. This is it's how the markets work, right? This is how things happen. Um, and I can't actually tell you where it will happen and where it won't. So the only thing I can control is where I'm going that has the high demand right now, and I'm buying assets that I can turn around, right? So I'm not buying the top. I'm not buying the best, right? I'm buying one, and I'm bringing it up to its standards. I'm getting instant uh, instant increases in revenue, increase in margin, which gives me safety for contractions. Um, and those are the things we can control. And so those are the things that we're focusing on right now. It, when we, you know, five, six years ago, we were actually building the nicest facility in the city, um, with the nicest materials, and we were going to charge the highest rents and we were still kind of, uh, we'll see if it'll fill up right now, but that made total sense eight years ago. Um, the cost was so low, rents were on the upswing, and there was no, when we built, so we were building in a growing market uh, eight years ago, that facility, we were the only one, the only one in a 
I think six mile radius that was building right now in a one mile radius of that exact same facility, there's four storage facility being built in one mile. It is a double of the total square footage going in. Um, That is also something we never saw prior. Uh, So the cost basis of those storages coming in at the exact same square footage is like 10 million. Ours was three. So our competitive advantage in those markets is very well insulated. We're totally fine. We cash flow like crazy. And now currently I would not be any of those facilities that are being building right now. I would never do that in this time of the market and in this place. Um, It's kind of crazy. So Focus on what you can control. Focus on fundamentals. The rest doesn't matter. Then play the long-term game. That's all we're saying. I love it, man. I, and I think it's such an important thing, again, as, as you have all this hype around anything, is really s- taking a step back and de- detaching and looking at the fail points and saying, wait a second, like, okay, this is, we need to keep our heads on straight here. Yeah, it can be a great asset. It can be, you know, very well performing, give great returns. And um provide financial income and, and wealth and all these beautiful, amazing things for for people and, and our partners and everything. But at the same time, we've got to be grounded. We've got to be down to earth. We've got to be recognizing these risks. Um, and again, I mean, it, it's just, and it's not that we're doing this more than we've ever not done in the past either. I think is another really good point is, is yeah. we're analyzing the risk the same. It's yes. not that, oh, well, like suddenly we're analyzing risk more seriously now no. than in the past. It's just, it, the risks are just changing. They're, yes. they're dynamic. There's more, there's more markets we can't go into 100%. now. There's more, even when we go into a market, we're seeing more square footage that we've never seen. We're seeing different yep. projections. So you're exactly right. This is something that we didn't really even think about as nearly as much eight years ago because there wasn't a persistent problem. We were at the end of a development cycle. It was the opposite. Most markets had a huge shortage. And we're like, you know, this is find a great location and we're going to get the upside from this, right? Um, Where today it's kind of more of the opposite. There's more downside than there is clear upside in many, many markets across the United States. So it's just these things come and go. It ebbs Mm -hmm. and flows, everybody, right? That's how it works. That's how it happened. You just need to understand that. And we're in it for the long term. And so we, we don't mind. It, it, like it, a contraction and a pullback in this market just means I get to go out and buy more. Exactly. That's all it means. 100%. Uh, that's, uh, that's what it's all about, finding that opportunity. It's always there, you know. Um, with that said, the AJ, like he was talking about, did a whole YouTube video on this subject, dives deep in some of these aspects that we talked about here today. Be sure to go to YouTube, check that out. I've got a link in the show notes down below. Then um, also the link to the Self Storage Fund. Uh, all you accredited investors out there, get after it. Go check it out. Um, phenomenal opportunities. Uh, really looking forward to crushing that here uh, this year. Year. It's going to be an awesome year. A lot of opportunities coming again. I mean, I pretty much already got the, the assets lined up for that yeah, fund. It's crazy. <laughs> it's pretty it's wild. Crazy. So uh, anyways, thanks so much, guys, for listening, tuning in. We appreciate your support, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>